I don't even know where to begin tonight. <laughs> For those of you who have never heard of the words general conference together, I'm going to apologize that I will not be able to fully explain what that is in the time that we have together. But in brief, it's an international gathering of United Methodist Church delegates from all over the world, uh, a body that sets the policies for the church. It's made up of only about eight to 900 people. And the General Conference is the global voice, uh, the official voice of the Global United Methodist Church. For those who have been up on General Conference 2019, watching the live stream or social media or seeing what's been in the newspaper lately, I do want to offer some, some clarifications because of some of the questions I've been getting about some of the logistical things uh, before I comment a little further on it. But first of all, Bethany did not have representation. No local church did. I know that doesn't seem right, but that's just not how it works. Um, Tom Davini and Ashlyn Davini, they did not vote. They are delegates for a jurisdictional conference. They're alternates for the general conference. So if someone who is a delegate for the general conference goes down and is not able to vote, the alternates would step up and do that. So is that clear as mud yet so far? No, yeah, I'm getting nods. and Yeah, it's that, okay, you're, we're right there where we're supposed to be. It's very confusing, and I'm oversimplifying um, all of this greatly. Um, all the delegates are not picked by local churches, but they're picked by annual conferences here in the states. Clergy are picked by clergy. Laity are picked by laity. Um, but there was a special call, the general conference that met this past week, to primarily discuss issues of ordination and marriage for people who are not heterosexual. Currently, our denomination forbids doing both. Um, we've been struggling with this issue since 1972. That's the year I was born, so pretty much as old as me, we've been having this conversation, uh, this conflict. Um, hopefully by now many of you have seen letters from our bishop and from our senior pastor in response to the conference, oh, and from our district superintendent as well. Uh, if you have not, I do have the letter from our bishop on the table in the back. When you leave this evening, you can pick that up if you did not already get that in electronic form. But a majority of delegates for general conference, they voted against a couple of proposals that were to allow for more inclusive policies in the United Methodist Church so that uh, churches and pastors specifically could live more fully into their understanding of God's scripture and calling. Those were uh, rejected. The traditional plan was supported by a vote of 53% to 47% very close. Um, so you can see the church is fairly divided on this issue when you consider just our uh, group of delegates. But that plan keeps the current language that is in our book of discipline regarding homosexuality, and it streamlines the process to enforce penalties related to marriage and ordination of the LGBT community, the persons in our, in our, in our church. A number of the elements in that traditional plan had been found to be unconstitutional by a judicial council. So the whole plan will be reviewed again when the judicial council meets in April. More confused? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Do not hesitate to schedule a meeting with any of your pastors or with Frank Jacks Jr. Uh, he's going he's gonna to shoot me for saying that. Sorry, Frank, I'm throwing you under the bus. He is our uh, resident expert on all things Methodist polity. Um, but just what that means for the Judicial Council is that some or all of what was approved may not actually take effect. We don't know. 
and general conference meets again in 2020 after we vote for new delegates this year in June. So the conversation will continue. But our bishop and our district superintendent are committed to leading and serving with all of us, regardless of where we stand on this issue, and so am I. Our mission remains here in the United Methodist Church, here at Bethany, in our district, in our conference, to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ and to be in ministry together. Regardless of legislation, each and every one of us and each and every one of those whom we serve are precious and beloved by God. All are valued parts of the body of Christ. We're all connected as God has made us in his image and as the Holy Spirit weaves us together in spirit with one another. And so if you haven't read that letter yet, if you get it, you'll see some of this, but you'll see that our bishop offers his prayers and his efforts to include and to foster the ministries of every person seeking to serve Christ. So it is a truth that we know that when one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. If you are not in pain, you've not been paying attention, <laughs> or you're in denial, or maybe you're choosing to disconnect from the body of Christ in some way. But people all around us, I mean us here right now in worship tonight in this room, in our Bethany family, we have relatives, loved ones, friends, millions of people. At last count, the United Methodist Church had over 12 million members. The Methodist, global Methodist, total over 80 million people. And I'm getting messages from people of several denominations sharing in that pain, hurting for us. So millions of people are feeling grief. They're feeling hurt, betrayal. They're feeling repressed and excluded. And I don't want you to not know that that is happening in our church right now. We need prayer. We need compassion. And we need hope in major ways. Here is something that has not been reported or argued about or divisive this week. And that has been Bethany at work. We have lots of examples of feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, praying together, listening, speaking out for those who feel like their voices have not been heard. This is the beauty of God in us and God's mission for us in the world. It's been happening all around me this week as it always does. And I realize that does not offer comfort for many of our LGBTQ sisters and brothers and for those who love them. And the question for us, for many, is, is there a place for them? Is there a place for me? Is there a place for us in this church, in this very church here, not just the UMC? And everyone's answer as they wrestle with that question is very deep and very personal I already know that for some of our brothers and sisters who've been here at Bethany serving and leading and loving generously, for some of them that answer has been no. There's no place for me in the United Methodist Church. And for others, they're trying to talk themselves into staying when so much about what has been going on tells them that they're not welcome. The message that I'm going to offer tonight has nothing to do with institutions or policies or politics. I have to find my answer in something greater than the things we create. Something beyond legislation. Only in something pure and holy, only something of God can comfort me in my grief and in my inability 
to say to so many of you whom I love and people who I hurt for, my inability to say, to assure you that you are fully invited to participate in the life of the United Methodist Church. When one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. We united are suffering, and we are desperate for healing. Let us pray. Holy God, as we come here tonight, uh, we thank you for the music that reminded us to trust and obey, that reminded us that uh, regardless of what is happening in our minds, our emotions, and our spirits, it is well with our soul because you hold us. Help us, God, to feel held by your presence, to experience your presence in a new way that we have such desperate need of. And help us to hear your word. We've heard too much of the words of the world this week. So we thank you that we have made it here <laughs> in some way to hear your words, to focus on the message that you would bring us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. A common prayer of mine that I often pray to myself is, oh, God, less of me, more of Christ. And so we're going to hear these words from Jesus, <clears throat> from John 14. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit needs to remind us of what Jesus has said to us. And a good way for us to, to receive that reminder is to pick up a Bible and read it. In particular, look for the red letter text right now. Look for what Jesus actually said to us, to his disciples, to bystanders, to today's church. Look for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for that word. I have a terrible memory and so the word I hold on to from Jesus, a word that I can read through the entire Bible, are his words, his commandments to love God with all that I've got and to share that love with everybody else. Start there. And don't ever argue with me about scripture if that is not your foundation. I believe Jesus when he says that the law and the prophets all are summed up by his commandments to love. This is not a worldly practice, this love stuff. And Jesus is very clear that he does not give as the world gives. Actually, his giving is weird if you're not used to it. You know, y'all, a lot of you have been in the church for a long time. Uh, but if you're not, you know, well-versed in the scripture, it's hard to understand from our worldly perspective, from our human condition that is broken, because it looks like this. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If you don't think that's weird, it's because you've been having communion a long time. And you've gotten used to it. But it's really unusual. The hour that has come, Jesus' time is up. His ministry of walking in the world as a man is over. 
this last supper is not just what we call a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice that we ingest, you know, about once a month or so. This is the last time that Jesus is going to share a meal with his followers before he suffers, before he sacrifices his body, his life, before his blood is poured out on the cross. Our crosses are cleaned up. They're attractive, but that is not what his experience looked like. All this he is trying to express, and I don't know how he could speak at all, knowing what was coming for him in the days to follow. But he shared his voice at the table, Christ's table. We hear this invitation in our United Methodist Book of Worship. And of course, I moved my page marker. I think I find it. All right. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. This table is Christ's. Bethany members bought a piece of furniture that we call altar, but it's not Bethany's table. This is Christ's table. I can tell you that not all Bethany tables, and I mean those belonging to our members, their actual tables, not all of those are open to me. There are members here who would never want to break bread with me. There are people who don't want to look at me in the eye. They don't want to hear my voice. Even if I'm just reading scripture to them, they would rather not hear me speak. And that's okay. I mean, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts, but it does not change who I am. It doesn't matter if we are welcome at someone's table or not. How we respond should not change regardless. I remain a child of God who has chosen to follow Jesus. My hope is in him, and he invites me to his table. This table is not a United Methodist Church table. Not all UMC tables are open to me. Not really. Even in our denomination, there are churches and, man, there are people here at Bethany who are not thrilled that there are clergy women in the denomination. I'm not ignorant of that. The Bible offers a lot of support to reject my leadership. I didn't choose this, though. I was not striving to be ordained in the United Methodist Church. That's a story for another day. But God invited me, and so I said yes. But the United Methodist Church still struggles with fully realizing the equal participation and leadership of some of the leaders that on paper they have chosen. I can say African-American. I can say women. I know a number of clergywomen who have been mightily abused, whose lives have been threatened by members of the very church that they have been appointed to pastor. And they remain children of God who have chosen to follow Jesus. Their hope is in him. And he invites them to his table. There may be tables in your life that don't have an empty chair waiting for you. It might be because of sexuality or gender identity. It could be income or education. It could be age. It may be political affiliation, criminal record. You fill in the blank with that table where you don't feel like a place has been set for you. But your hope, my friend, is not in the world. Your hope is in Christ. And he invites you to his table. What Jesus did, what our resurrected Lord continues to do for us, it will never make sense. It's not logical or rational. It is ridiculous because we don't deserve it. We will never earn it. We'll never be worthy of this because we all fall short of a perfect, obedient life 
in Christ, all of us fail to offer him fully. In Methodist words, we say sanctification. We strive to be perfected in God's love. And we do not perfectly offer God's love. This evening, we're going to take a little bit of time to carefully look at our communion liturgy before we share that together as Christ invites us to the table. Are you serious about wanting to be reconciled with God? I mean, sometimes I think it is more honest for me to say, I want to want that. My actions sometimes don't align with that desire. I make poor choices. I withhold God's love. I continue in sin in my life. And yet we are offered this, this confession. I'm going to invite you to read this with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I felt this strongly this week of how we have failed. And I invite you now in a moment of silence, you close your eyes, that helps, and confess specifically to God how you yourself have failed. There is never enough time to fully confess all of our failures and still hear this good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. And you see that passage, Romans 5, 8 there, all of this is scripturally based. You'll see as we walk through the great Thanksgiving that Methodist scribes are not just making this stuff up, our liturgy. It all comes from God's word to us, instructing us what it means to come to his table, that this matters. It is a story of God through history from the word that created in the beginning, that word that became the Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus saving us and rising to be the Christ that sends to us the Holy Spirit, equipping us still today. There is hope at the table of the Lord because the invitation comes from the eternal, perfect love. For and beyond all time and space and culture and tradition and people, nations, tribes and tongues. A boundless expanse of grace. This means of grace that we receive at Holy Communion. Christ invites you to the table, his table. If you love Christ, repent of your sin and seek to live in peace with each other, and you come to the table, our approach begins with lifted hearts, what we call the sursum corda, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. God's love brings us to the table and our hearts rejoice. This greeting of the Lord with us brings to my mind namaste. Some of you have heard that before. That which is in me of the divine sees and acknowledges and rejoices at the divine in you. As it abides, so do we abide in God. And so we respond. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
from the psalm, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator and heaven and earth. These passages, Ephesians, Thessalonians, and Philippians, tell us this story. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And our story with God begins in the beginning as it should. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. This liturgy that we use moves through the entire Bible, Old Testament through the New Testament, weaving God's story into our story that we are invited into to know him. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, beginning with Moses, leading the people out of slavery in Egypt and to the Holy Land, and all the prophets reminding the people through the ages that God is recalling us back to him. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join them in their unending hymn. Join me. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Hosanna is an appeal to God for salvation. We know we need it. And in Jesus, we discover that deliverer in our life to save us. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Generations before Jesus came onto earth, the prophets were speaking of that day that would come and the miracles that would happen, and we see them realized in the work that he did. He healed the sick fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. The story of Jesus continues beyond his life to the holy day of Pentecost when the Spirit he promised descends upon the disciples of Christ. <clears throat> and when the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. God is always with us. We are never alone. And then comes the time when Jesus would institute this practice. And we need to pay attention to this because it is in many places in the scripture. You'll see the gospel passages there. You'll see the Corinthians passage that is mentioned as well. 
This is an opportunity that he invites us into. Jesus knew that this mattered. He was about to leave, and he needed to leave us with something, hope beyond his physical presence in the world as a man. In this giving, on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, and he gave thanks to you. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you. He gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus is about to go. And so he leaves us this gift to continue to remember he knows that we're going to need a lot of reminding in our lives. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. If you have not been noting the scriptures as we go along, the source of the word of the liturgy that we do, I want to encourage you to read three chapters in particular for this part of the story. Hebrews 10 and Romans 12. Hebrews 10, Romans 12. And I also encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians 15, this memorial acclamation that we're going to say together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And in John, Christ said after these words, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We offer then a prayer of unity, a prayer that we need to hear, another reminder for us. God, by your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We are not there yet. These scripture passages tell us of this promise throughout the prophet, through the gospel message, and into Revelation that says, they will hunger no more, and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And we come to our closing doxology. This liturgy, this, uh, this reading that we do, the saying that we have at the end of every worship services. We acknowledge God, the three in one with every doxology, our praise to God in three persons, a blessed trinity, God's very being, a loving relationship. And as we are created in God's image, we can only reflect him, offer him in the world by being in loving relationship with God, with ourselves, and with one another. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. This is how Jesus commanded us. And I'm going to invite those who are serving now to come to prepare Christ for the table for you. Christ has offered you his invitation. 
We hope that you will receive it and accept. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. If you haven't figured it out yet that not one of us are righteous, now would be the time. The world, the general conference, the Methodist churches are shaking right now. We feel the religious foundation beneath us trembling. We are feeling unsteady. Many of us are falling. But Christ remains a firm foundation, always and everywhere, the solid rock on which we stand. This table, his table, will always have a place for you. And Christ wants you at his table. I pray that you will come. Have all been served? I was asked that question in a group when I was uh, moving towards ordination as a resident in ministry. And I was going to say yes, but before I had a chance to, I heard a bunch of people say no. And I was like, I knew everybody in the room had been served, but that wasn't what the question was. Have all been served? No. There are many who did not get the invitation. There are people who thought they were disinvited. There are people who feel blocked from the table by us. A table that isn't even ours. People we failed to invite to Christ's table because we act like it's ours. But tonight you came and you received. Still a sinner, but desiring better for yourself. Can you desire better for others? Can you offer the invitation that is such a source of hope for everyone?